Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They've slain the dragon! Daniel. Henrik. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left on the power play. Here's Hughes, top of the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes back to Patterson, wanted a one-timer, passes in his skates, he settles it down, throws it for the goal, stopped by Vino. Vino, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Patterson's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone. Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Patterson after him, he's got a chance at a breakaway. Patterson in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. What's going on in Vancouver? Tyler Toffoli sends the Montreal Canadiens to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes, that same Tyler Toffoli that was wearing the blue and green for your Vancouver Canucks last season. Have we forgot about him yet? Roger Shurgill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf with me as well. It is Sportsnet tonight with you until 10 o'clock. All of the reaction from the overtime and the contest between Montreal and Winnipeg coming your way over the course of the show. Josh, we were prepping for the show and had to change it up a few different ways. Talking about perhaps airing the overtime period, but Montreal and, and Tyler Toffoli get it done so quickly that we are now on the air, 8 o'clock sharp, talking about Montreal punching their ticket to the conference final. If it's still called that, I'm not sure. Uh, semifinal. And, and also the, the, yeah, semifinal, I guess. And, and then also uh, the fact that Tyler Toffoli is the one who sends them to that mark. Yeah, so it, it's... I so desperately wanted Tyler Toffoli to just kind of like, I, I wish the best for him, but just to kind of go away a little bit and, <laughs> and settle down in the playoffs and just maybe not score a goal that sends his team to the third round. But hey, you know what? That's Tyler Toffoli and that's this year for Canucks fans. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been pretty rough. And the best thing about it, is that he just keeps doing it as soon as the conversation seems to die out. You know, it's like yeah. we kind of get over him and then he does something like this and all of a sudden he's he's a hero again and and all of Vancouver is back on the Jim Benning hate bandwagon. This has got to be the worst case scenario for Jim Benning, is it not? Like anytime he's watching a Tyler Toffoli goal, whether it's in the regular season game, you know, 25 and he scores goal number 14 or whatever he was at at that point. Um, like Jim Benning must just be looking at the the ticker on his app or whatever and just be so upset that Tyler Toffoli is doing as well as he really is, right? Because even if he were to sign with the Canucks, the season that Toffoli had this year, Josh, I don't know if any of us would have expected him to do that playing on a line with Elias Pedersen and JT Miller or Bo Horvat and Niels Hoagland or whatever it was, he had such a great season on that Montreal Canadiens team. Uh, and that's a squad that I think, at least in the top six, isn't really as strong as the Canucks team, right? And and Tyler Toffoli really went there 
and, and that was absolutely dynamite for the Habs this season, and he continued it in the playoffs. He was definitely a bit of an X factor, but yeah, do you think like you know how I don't know I don't know if you do this, but when you have when you're playing fantasy and you have certain players on your fantasy team, you like set notifications for them when they score, when they get assists or whatever. Do you think yeah. Jim Benning had the same thing, but only for Tyler Toffoli? And every it's, time we, I would I would like have Tyler Toffoli's notifications blocked <laughs> if I was Jim Benning. I would not want to see any part of of what. Tyler Toffoli or, or the Montreal Canadiens, for that matter, are, are doing. Here, here's a philosophical question for you. Would the Canadiens be where they are if they didn't sign Tyler Toffoli? Oh, no. Oh, no. Definitely not. <laughs> like, they would be... Like, they would be... So, so is Jim Benning looking at right now saying that could have been us? I, I don't know if he's looking at that because it, it's hockey, right? And you don't know if one player puts you over the top. Right. But, like, man, you're, you're right. Like, I don't think Montreal would have beat Toronto if they didn't have Tyler Toffoli. I don't know if they would have won enough games this season to make the playoffs without Tyler Toffoli. You know what I mean? Like, the how many times did they beat the Canucks this season because they had Tyler Toffoli? And hey, maybe that difference is made up if the Canucks had re-signed him instead of not. And obviously, we we can't go back and revise it. We'll never know. That's kind of the, the doomsday scenario of like, man, the Canucks would have made the playoffs if they had them, but because they don't, Montreal is going to win the cup now. Um, it's well, that's that scenario is actually coming true almost. <laughs> like we're and, and listen, like winning the cup, that's that's incredibly difficult to do. And, and it was kind of always a joke that oh wow, Montreal is going to win the cup now that they signed Tyler Toffoli. It was kind of just a jab at Jim Benning, kind of just a jab at the Canucks fan base. But the fact that they've gotten this far, like. That joke is no longer really a joke. Like, it's not funny anymore. No, at the beginning of the season when Toffoli was just doing well against the Canucks and it was like, oh, man, this sucks, but, you know, it, it'll go away. And then right. <laughs> and then they made the playoffs. And uh, if I remember correctly, like, Toffoli didn't have a great first few games, but that being said, nobody on the Canadians really did. And and now it's starting to come into form. And, and like you like. He has been one of their main contributors and kind of seems like it, it's tough to be the heartbeat of a room when you've got guys like Brendan Gallagher, Shea Weber, Carey Price already established in that market. But I think he's come in and been that like X factor for the team that really just puts them over the top and adds an element that they didn't really have. And when when we're in Vancouver and we talk about players with championship experience and championship pedigree, in Vancouver, that's like Jay Beagle and Braden Holpe. But in in Montreal right now, that's Tyler Toffoli. And that's the kind of guy that I think Canucks fans have been clamoring for Jim Benning to bring in. And then they had him and they lost him. Exactly. And you're right. That's a good point that you made. The, the kind of type of playoff experience full, uh, player that the Montreal Canadiens have, right? It's Tyler Toffoli who is obviously just sent them to the conference final. But that veteran line that the Montreal Canadiens deployed throughout this postseason with Eric Stahl and Corey Perry was significantly important for them throughout the entire postseason. They did tremendously for Montreal, probably uh, their two best players over the course of the playoffs so far. Uh, and then you also add Joel Edmonds into the mix as well. He's won a Stanley Cup. You've got Michael Froelich back in the background. And, and, and I'm sure... You know, that experience of just being calm in the locker room 
helps having those kinds of guys around. Montreal, in that sense, Josh, has, has kind of done it right. And, and I'm not saying that the Canucks haven't, but it's very hard to make a case that the Canucks have when you look at what the Montreal's Cup winners have done that, uh, the, what, sorry, what they're doing uh, in, in this postseason. And there was, a, there was a, something going around earlier on Twitter when the Toronto Maple Leafs got defeat when they lost in game seven about, you know, how having those kinds of older veteran players and that doesn't really help, but that's kind of an old man take, I guess, if you will. And, and Toronto had their players. They had Wayne Simmons, right? They had Zach Bogosian and Nick Foligno and, and Joe Thornton and, and Jason Spezza. The thing is though, uh, none of those guys have won a cup. And, and the other thing is, I don't think, Josh, that if you have those players, you are destined to go to the Stanley Cup final and win the cup. But my point of view and my thinking on this is that you're not going to get there if you don't have those players, right? And and that's kind of how Montreal is, is playing right now. They've got those kinds of guys that are really carrying the weight. And then obviously their top performers like a Nick Suzuki uh, and, and like a Cole Caulfield who helped set up that goal for Tyler Toffoli are really contributing at the right time as well. It's about that right mix of players, right? That, to be honest, I thought Toronto had that. Uh, they were obviously carried by their younger guys, but I did think Spezza had a pretty good playoffs and he had a pretty good season. Joe Thornton, he's over the hill, but he was getting paid a league minimum contract. And Wayne Simmons, he had he had his moments. But yeah, Montreal does seem to be the example of like identifying players that are not yet too old but they still have the experience that can really help put a team over the top to your point i i'm still not on board as much as i'm i am into analytics and i am into the youth movement that's happening around the nhl i still don't think i'm on board with teams that fully go after complete skilled lineups being as young as they can and look i know you can look at tampa bay and you can look at Colorado, but even those teams have elements of grit and the, or they do. Not, yeah, and elements of experience as well. And you need to balance that with also finding players that while they're gritty and experienced, they can also help you put the puck in the, in the back of the net. And to me, that's, that seems to be the balance Montreal has found. Well, look at the, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, Josh. They, went to the Stanley Cup final in 2015 and lost to the dynasty that was the Chicago Blackhawks. After that, they had a very, very strong hockey team and probably the best team in NHL history to not win a cup prior to last season. And, and they just kept falling. They, they lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets of all teams. And look where they are now, the Blue Jackets, right? They just couldn't get it done. And, and last year, who were, the, who were the kind of players that they added? They, they paid a significant price uh, to get Blake Coleman, that first-round draft pick to get Blake Coleman from the New Jersey Devils. That's a player that has skill, but guess what? He also plays with a lot of physicality and a lot of grit as well, and he, we know what he can do on the defensive end of the puck and on the penalty kill too. So there you go. You added one guy with the, that skill set. You added a Luke Shen. You added a Zach Bogosian. You added a Barkley Goudreau for another very high pick, right? And all of those players kind of contributed to how this team eventually won the Stanley Cup. Obviously, you are you are carried by the Kucherovs of the world, by the Braden Points of the world, 
by the Steven Stamkoses of the world up until he got injured in the playoffs last season. But having those grit guys to really, you know, win in the trenches, it goes a long way. And and again, like I just mentioned, if you do have those guys, it's not a guaranteed win, but I just find it extremely difficult to get to have a meaningful playoff run if you don't have those kinds of players on your team. And and by by that sort of, you know, standard, I guess, the Canucks are, I don't want to say they're building the right way because we know what that has gotten them. Um, but I want to say that the, the sort of thought process of getting those kinds of players was was correct, right? And and listen, it's been a disaster in Vancouver. But that's primarily because of the cap allocation and the money that they've spent on those kinds of guys. The, the instances where it works with Tampa Bay and where we're seeing it with Colorado right now is because they've got the high-end pieces that they really need to be successful. But those high-end pieces are surrounded by guys that are able to score goals while at the same time able to produce physically as well. Yeah, and I was going to mention, to be fair to Jim Benning, he he has seemed to acknowledge that teams need that to get over the top. The issue is he like he just didn't do it in the right order. And there is an order to building a team. You want to... You want to create a base of skilled players that make the team desirable and maybe get them into the playoffs. And that way, when you're going into free agency or you're trying to make a trade, it's easier to acquire players that play in your bottom six because, A, they're going to sign for on your team for cheaper, and, B, you're going to know exactly what roles you need them to fill, and they're going to be able to fill them right away. The issue with the Canucks has been they – they ended up signing Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel, who I think can be guys that help a championship-caliber team, but the Canucks were not a championship-caliber team at that moment. And now now their contracts are going to expire before the Canucks can really be competitive. And, and that's kind of what I mean by they didn't really do things in the right order. And now that they kind of have to build it up a little bit again, maybe they'll be able to get it done in the right process this time. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the five W's coming up at 8.30. Uh, I want to get to a text here. It sure feels like we, Canucks fans, sure got shotgunned, all right. The Canadians get to Foley for two more years, and the Canucks get Jim Benning. You know he's going to mess up our draft pick and trade him for a bag of road apples. Road apples? It is torture being a Canucks fan with Jim Benning in charge. Um, yeah, I, I understand that sentiment. I don't think that Jim Benning, like, I'm not going to sit here and, and try and defend Jim Benning, but I, I do want to say that when it comes to texts like this one, where he specifically thinks that Jim Benning is going to trade the draft pick, like, that's ridiculous. Jim Benning has traded one first rounder in his tenure of, of being, of his tenure as GM of the Vancouver Canucks. And that was for JT Miller. An objectively Canucks, pretty good trade in hindsight. Very good trade. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? And and so I, I understand the hatred towards Jim Benning. I understand all of the criticism that Jim Benning gets. And he's trending on Twitter right now as well, simply because Tyler Toffoli buried that overtime goal <laughs> <laughs> and buried a lot of emotions of Canucks fans onto Jim Benning as well. But at the same time, um, like, let's be a little... Uh, you know, fair in our criticism. I don't think Jim Benning is going to make a trade for that ninth overall selection. And if he does, so far, that track record is actually pretty good. 
right, of him of him making a deal and actually hitting on it. Now, we're going to talk about this later on, as I mentioned, but the Canucks, in my opinion, aren't in a position to really be trading that pick anyways, right? So it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do do, that, do with that pick, but whether it comes to either making the selection or whether it comes to trading the pick, Jim Benning isn't really in a position to be criticized, Josh, because he hasn't really messed up in that regard too many times. No, you can critique him for a lot of things, but when it comes to drafting, and I know there's the argument out there that maybe he isn't actually that good at drafting and he's just average. Like, look, That's the, a ridiculous take. Yeah, like I understand where you're coming from, but at that point it just kind of seems like you're you're searching for things to be mad about when there's already enough things to be mad about. You know what I mean? Like, just give him drafting because, look, the, the core is in place. Niels Hoaglander was picked in the second round. Jack Rathbone in a later round as well is looking like he's about to make an NHL impact. And, yeah, he, he missed on a couple first-rounders, but you also got Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Vissily Podkolzin looks like he's going to make an impact as well. And so when it comes to picking in the top 10, I don't usually have an issue with Jim Benning. 60% of the time, it works every time with him so far. Um, it, it's just the, it's the trades and drafts, and we've gotten into this a lot in the past. Uh, I did see this in the, I just clicked on the Jim Benning trending. Would you, so if the, if the Montreal Canadiens go on a run and they end up winning the Stanley Cup, how how close is Tyler Toffoli to being the Conn Smythe winner? Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, he's got to be up there. Right? <laughs> like, he definitely, if he's not number one, he's like number two. And the thing is, like, there were all of these, there were all of these, um, you know, sort of early rankings for the Conn Smythe, right? Nikita Kucherov, like, everybody was saying, he's already in the contention without Conn Smythe. And they're like, it's relaxed. It's been one round. Uh, and... Tyler Toffoli, not that he should have been in that category, but nobody really even paid attention to anybody coming out of the North. And now all of a sudden, we're already saying he could be the one. I would still say hold your horses, but um, listen, there's a lot of great players. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is definitely up there for me. But I don't know. I, th I think that if, if Montreal does win it, yeah, Tyler Toffoli is probably definitely up there. See, yeah, so, so far... It, let's say let's say the Habs just won the cup when they beat the Jets, and obviously they didn't. But so far, their MVP is probably – I guess you could make a case for Jesperi Kokinemi as well. Uh, Carey Price is, is always going to be in the conversation. Any goalie, really, that gets their team yeah. to a deep point of, of the Stanley Cup playoffs is probably going to be in the yeah, conversation. Like, to fully, sorry, uh, Price has been really good, but he's never had to be good. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, Montreal Canadiens haven't been so disastrous necessarily where they've had to rely on him so much, but he's made the saves that he's needed to make, and he's probably made a little extra, and he's been very strong. But the Habs around him have also played very good hockey as well. Definitely, and you saw it tonight. Like The shots were heavily in favor of Montreal, and honestly, in my opinion, Winnipeg was a little bit lucky to get it into the into overtime, but that's that's why you have Connor Hellebuck and why he is a perennial perennial Vesna candidate. We will um, we'll hear from Tyler Toffoli as well a little bit later on uh, in the program. He's talking to media right now. We'll turn that around and uh, play it for you in the second half of the show. 
Uh, also, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in. We'll try to read as many texts as we possibly can. This one says, uh, can we please not make this about Jim Benning? Uh, hey, the fans have made this about Jim Benning. He's trending on Twitter. We're just talking about the fact that he's trending on Twitter already because of Tyler Toffoli. Uh, so blame it on Montreal Canadiens forward number 73. Um, here, here's another thing that I kind of want to talk about, Josh. Do you think that the Habs... Like, how much of a legitimate chance do we give them against any team that does not play in Canada? So, when I look at any of the remaining teams, really. So, let's go Colorado-Vegas. Both of them are beating Montreal, in my opinion. That will be the next opponent, one of them. Yeah, like, very easily. But let's say they get through them. Tampa, Carolina, the Islanders, and Boston. I I just don't see a chance for the Canadians against any of them. And honestly, I I love to root for an underdog. I hope they do it. I hope they get to the final. I don't hope they win because I don't want another Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup before the Canucks do, but that's a selfish hope, I guess. Um, But that being said, yeah, if they had to go up against any other team, I I just don't like their chances. And, hey, maybe maybe the surprise this next round, we're going to find out because they're going to get a really tough matchup, but – it's just, it. the odds seem insurmountable unless Carey Price turns into $10.5 million Carey Price each and every night. I'm, I, I would agree with you, and I feel like I kind of do agree with you. That being said, if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan right now, and if you're tuning into Montreal Canadiens radio right now, I would assume the conversation is similar to that, isn't it? Like... Aren't a lot of people saying that, yeah, they don't really have a chance against all of these American teams, but at the same time, people didn't really give them a chance against the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? And and how many people had the Winnipeg Jets beating Montreal on this? I mean, sure, obviously, when you put them against the, the Jets, there were, could have been more people having Montreal winning. That's a little bit of a closer series. But at the same time, Toronto was an extraordinary tough victory, especially to come back from 3-1 series down. They've already been counted out before, Josh. So I don't know if counting them out again is is necessarily the smart thing to do. Now listen, if this is from a betting perspective, I'm not putting my money on Montreal. But I just think that they play a very you know, strong game and they're able to kind of adapt to the style of play that any other team is kind of is able to play, right? I think if, if they were to play Vegas, they've got those gritty players that can keep up with the Las Vegas Golden Knights and, and match them physically. They've got that speed element that can keep up with Vegas as well. I don't know if they can keep up with the the, sure, the, the sheer firepower of, of Colorado, but I don't know if I would completely count them out of, of, the, of, out of any series outside of Colorado. I think they... They might surprise you if they're taking on the Bruins. They might surprise you if they're taking out on the Islanders uh, or the Hurricanes. The the Lightning are another one that's a little bit tough for me to swallow. I think the Lightning and the Avalanche are, are, are the two teams that I might say for certain are going to beat the Montreal Canadiens. But other than that, I, I don't think I'm going to count them out so easily. I guess you can't, especially after that first round against the Leafs. It, it is hard to discount them, but that being said, I think it's also a really big benefit that they got to play Toronto, what was it, nine nine or ten times this season. And whatever whatever series they go into, it'll be the first time they're playing 
that team this year. And hey, maybe maybe that's a benefit for them, but I just think if they're matched up against Colorado or Vegas, Vegas is going to have a much or either of those teams are going to have a much easier time figuring out their play style and just dominating them to a point before Montreal can adjust. But I would like to be proven wrong because I I just I think it'd be fun to see Montreal continue to upset teams and really make it make a deep run. And I do think like a Montreal Boston Stanley Cup final would be amazing. Oh man. It would be great, wouldn't it? Yes. It, it would be it would be tremendous to first of all, not only because it's that great rivalry, but just to have a Canadian team back in the final would be it would be great to watch. Definitely. It'd be something you wish they were fan or a hundred percent fans in the stands for, but to get yeah. it at any time would be would be crazy for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one other game was on the NHL schedule today. A thriller in Boston. The Islanders knocking off the Bruins by a score of 5-4. to four. Made my tweet look uh, incredibly stupid. Uh, we'll get to that later on. The Islanders now have a 3-2 stranglehold on the Boston Bruins. We'll look to defeat them uh, on Wednesday. We'll come back after the break. It is the five W's, the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. Coming up on the other side, it's Roger Sergill. It's Josh Elliott-Wolf. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight on the official home of your Vancouver Canucks Sportsnet. Friday night's got a bit brighter. Yeah, but you ain't so bright. On the radio, this is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Suzuki can't get it to the net. Blocked by Pullman as they battle in the corner. Caulfield picks it up and scores! Series winner, Tyler Topoli! And the Canadians to the Kings of the North! There it is, Tyler Toffoli. Number 73 for the Montreal Canadiens, former Vancouver Canucks forward. Finishing it for Montreal, sending them to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, knocking off and sweeping the Winnipeg Jets. It is Roger Shurgi with you. It is Josh Elliott Wolf alongside me. Sportsnet tonight is the show. We will continue breaking down the victory for the Montreal Canadiens over Winnipeg over the course of the show. Five W's coming up as well. The five uh, most pressing questions in the world of sports. We will answer them for you in just a couple of minutes' time. Uh, but first, we do want to go to the phone lines as well. Thomas is in Langley. Thomas, what's going on, man? You have a thought of the Habs? Uh, well, you know, first I just want to thank Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks for <laughs> gifting us this amazing superstar of a player here in Tyler Foley, especially at such a, a wonderful discount for our team. Hashtag thank you, Jim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy, just gifting. I mean, it's not enough to gift your bottom six forwards with way too much money and way too much term. Gifting other teams, too, here. I'm loving it. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> uh, thanks for the call, Thomas. Appreciate it. You just um, came on to, like, Crap yeah, on like, Canucks fans and Jim Benning. No, he, he wasn't crapping on anybody. He just wanted to thank him. What's you're the, right. No, you're he's right. Not crapping on him. Come on. Yeah, th- I'm it's sorry. That's my bad. Yeah, come on. It's thank you, Jim. That's what everybody is saying. He's he's being praised. He's being being appreciated. I, I don't think that you you got that. Um, listen, I, I get it. A lot of people are are, are saying. Those three words right now. Thank you, Jim. It's it's everywhere, um, and it's it's crazy because 
you know, we, we spent the first segment talking about this, but it's crazy because uh, the sort of narratives and the, you know, options, I guess, that the Canucks had this offseason made it seem like Tyler Toffoli was going to be able to remain a member of the Vancouver Canucks, right? Whether it was a whether it was via way of uh, of buyout or whether it was via way of trade, it made it it seemed at least to me, Josh, that they were going to figure out a way to keep Tyler Toffoli around. And then they added Nate Schmidt, and stuff kind of hit the wall, and they weren't able to figure it out. And then there was this narrative that they kept Jake Vertanen and Brandon Sutter over to Foley. Uh, and, and I think that's false. But we've discussed this at length before. Whether you added Schmidt or not, I think the biggest issue that Canucks fans have is that adding a player of significance that Nate Schmidt brings should not mean that a player of significance like Tyler Toffoli is on his way out with the Canucks or in the cycle that they are right now. Why did Winnipeg? Sorry, why did Vegas get rid of a player as good as Nate Schmidt? Because they're bringing in a player like Alex Petrangelo, and the Vegas Golden Knights can actually go to the Stanley Cup final and perhaps win it. The Canucks had no reason to be getting rid of a player as good as Tyler Toffoli when they are a team that is barely going to be able to get into the playoffs, even with him in the lineup. And I think that's the issue that Canucks fans have. And it's obviously, you know, been beaten to death, but when he scores big goals every, you know, multiple times in the regular season, and then the biggest goal arguably of his career uh, in this game winner today, those kinds of conversations are going to come up. Definitely. In, Again, it comes back to where comes back to where the team is at and where the team is should be adding players like a Tyler Toffoli and especially when you saw how well he fit into the team last season and you're like, "Man, okay." At first, there was a lot of people that didn't like the trade and especially because it was viewed as a rental, but for me, I was I was in a position where I I thought the trade was good because my belief was that the Canucks were going to be able to sign him long-term or at least for a few years. Yes. And then, obviously, that didn't happen. So not only does that reflect, reflect poorly on the trade that was made, but it also reflects poorly on what led the Canucks to where they weren't able to sign anybody last offseason. And obviously, the flat cap plays into that and uh, potentially the owner, Francesco Aquilini, Tightening his pockets a bit, not being super open to a buyout also plays into that. But also, the Canucks should not have been in a position where they needed to to look for a buyout to bring in a guy like Tyler Toffoli because their two best players were still on rookie deals and it should have been something that was maneuverable. But, I don't know, we've, we've talked about it at nauseum and, yeah, it, it does seem to come up every week or so because Tyler Toffoli is really good at hockey and he likes to score goals that matter. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and listen, we're going to continue talking about this. We're going to continue talking about the Vancouver Canucks uh, with the five W's, the five most pressing questions in the world of sports. We will begin talking about them, about your Vancouver Canucks. Let's get to them right now. Here are today's five W's. Big voice guy going to tell me which one I'm going to talk about? There we go. Okay. That's on what? me. That's on me. Sorry. <laughs> what would you trade the ninth overall pick 
four. I am going to say a winger, and I know that's probably oh. not, yeah, that's pro- after we just talked about Tyler Toffoli leaving. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, that's probably not the best value for the pick. I don't think. Look, I I would prefer defenseman, but I don't think you're going to get a first pairing defenseman for the ninth overall pick. You might not even get that great of a second pairing de- defenseman. For that pick. That being said, wingers tend to be worth less in a trade than any other position. And I know we talked about the Toffoli trade, and I know it really sucks to hear this, but it what's done can't be undone. So now we just have to move forward and see what they can do with this pick. If the Canucks can find a legit top six winger under 25 years old on a team that maybe has too many players to protect in the upcoming expansion draft, that would probably be the the best option. Not only would that help the top six, that would also push someone like Tanner Pearson to the third line where he probably should be. It also creates some internal competition for Hoaglander, Potkolzin, any rookies entering into the lineup. And it also gives the team versatility as well, which is something we saw last year when certain players struggled, there was nobody to come up and fill their spot. And the Canucks were just giving players top six spots out of default as opposed to them earning that spot so if the Canucks can find a trade partner that meets those qualifications I say they pursue it but that being said in the end I do think the Canucks keep the pick and that's probably the best option but if I was to move the pick that's probably where I would find the most value yeah I agree first of all the Canucks should in my eyes look at keeping the pick and that's probably what's going to happen. Very likely, the Vancouver Canucks will be making a selection at ninth overall in the NHL draft this year. Um, that being said, I disagree with the winger part, man. I, I don't think that they should be looking at adding a winger necessarily. The only position, really, that I'm looking to add on this, first of all, if it's a forward, I'll be okay with the centerman. If it's a centerman and he's under the age of 25, Sure, I can do it, and you can play him on the wing, but then you at least have that versatility where you can bring him back to play center as well, and maybe it helps your gaping hole at third-line center. Um, but realistically, I'm looking for a top-pairing defenseman, and I'd be hesitant to trade it for anything other than a, a centerman. And, and the thing that I'm looking at right now with the Vancouver Canucks is that they're finally pointed in the right direction. They're going upwards in their trajectory. That's slowly but surely, right? The Canucks are finally making things right as much as people want to crap on Jim Benning. It's looking pretty good. We'll see how they can handle it and maneuver it now because you do have a couple of big contracts to hand out. They've already tried expediting this rebuild once and it's gotten the GM to the point where he's trending on Twitter constantly and not for the right reasons and where there's banners in the sky flying around the city. Don't let it happen again. You've got Niels Hoaglander who's going to continue growing on the wing. He was on pace for 40 points as a rookie. The team is bringing in 10th overall pick from 2019 in Vasily Podkolzin. Brock Besser was one of the best stories of the season. And JT Miller on pace for another 70-point-plus campaign. Wingers, in my eyes right now, Josh, isn't the priority. And they're not even the hardest to acquire. That's not even the position that I would be willing to give up a a top-10 draft pick for. So either keep this pick or trade it for a top-end defenseman because Winger, in my eyes, with the, I don't want to say surplus, but with the kind of guys that the Canucks are bringing in, to me, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Where? 
Where is the biggest need for addition for the Vancouver Canucks? So I know this pretty much goes against everything I just said, but he here's the thing. The Canucks need a top pairing right shot defenseman. And oh, wow. It, hey, if they can get it for the ninth overall pick, do it. The thing is... What a I, revelation, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But the thing is, the, the ninth overall pick isn't going to do it. Tana played great with Hughes when he was in Vancouver. Hamannick did a serviceable job with him last season. And I know it's much easier said than done to just go out and acquire a top-pairing right-shot defenseman or somebody that plays on the right side. But this hasn't doesn't have to be done this offseason. This can be something you set your mind on in the next two or three years. And hey, maybe in a couple of years when you have a bit more cap space, which is something I'm going to talk about a little bit later, you can look to acquire that right shot defenseman, whether it's via trade or via free agency, because you have the space to do it. But you need somebody that fits there, not only for a couple of years, but for like five to 10 years, because We've seen what's happened with Bo Horvat, and look, he's he's played great in his career in Vancouver, but you also wonder how much has been left on the table because the Canucks have not been able to give him the proper wingers. And you, you just don't want to see the same thing happen with Quinn Hughes. I look at what the Colorado Avalanche have done, and I know they tend to do a lot of things very, very well, but look at what they did with Kale McCarr. They brought in Devin Taves to play on his left side, and he's done really, really well. Not only has Taves played well, but he's also elevated Makar and kind of taken a bit of that strain off him, which is something we saw last season with Chris Tana playing with Quinn Hughes, that if you can find somebody even younger that brings the same kind of elements that Chris Tana did, maybe a bit more offensive upside, that's exactly what the Canucks need to be looking for in the next two to three seasons. Look, adding a defenseman of that caliber is extremely difficult to find, especially via trade, right? And and even even harder, perhaps, via free agency. And look, the Canucks have won the free agency route, and the best player that they've acquired in that sense has been Tyler Myers. And say what you want about Tyler Myers. Say what you want about the money. He's a good defenseman in my eyes. He can play a, a top-four role. He can fill you some big minutes. But it's not the kind of guy that you would want to be paying that much money to, especially when he has that much of a workload, right? So I don't think he's a bad defenseman. I think he's fine. I just think he's a little over his head in the kind of situation that he's playing. And that's not his fault, obviously. That has to do with the, you know, unable to really build a blue line. Uh, so I'm going to go with, I think, in my eyes, a little bit more of a realistic option. And I think that's the third line center position. The Canucks just gave Tanner Pearson... $3 million for another three years. A little bit over $3 million, actually. And we all wondered why they would do that. And the reason for that is because... The, the reason for that is depth. The answer is having a play-driving bottom six. Something that the Canucks have not had in so many years. And now just having Pearson there alone... That doesn't give your team depth. That doesn't give that third line some life all of a sudden. So you need to help that third line and you need to help Tanner Pearson on it as well. And that's why you got to get a player driving centerman. And you might be able to get some similar production from Tanner Pearson and that line that you had a couple of years ago when Pearson was able to get 45 points, 21 of which were goals. It does depend on who the centerman is, obviously. 
And I'm not talking about another Jay Beagle type. I'm not talking about another Brandon Sutter. I'm talking about a centerman where offense needs to be the main characteristic in, in describing him. Because to me, if you're going to have a decent third line who can at least try and get some points, what was the point of giving Tanner Pierce in that contract? Just so he can play on the second line while the third and fourth line remain the exact same liability, essentially, that they've been for the last five years? You've got Vasily Colson coming up, and with how well Hoaglander and Horvath played last season together, I wouldn't mind giving him an opportunity on that top six in the second line while having a play-driving centerman and Tanner Pearson have the big load on that third line. And now all of a sudden you've got a top nine or top eight, if you will, that's perhaps able to finally get you some scoring for the Vancouver Canucks. When? When will the Vancouver Canucks be legitimate Stanley Cup contenders, Josh? If they are not contenders in 2022-23, and I know that's a, it's the two years away quote, but if they're not contenders then, then something has gone horribly wrong. Like everybody else that follows the Canucks, I look at their cap-friendly page quite frequently, and next season we all know will be very limited, but following that, the contracts, here, here are the contracts that are off the books. Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Braden Holpe, and the Roberto Luongo recapture penalty. So in total, they're projected to have just over $46 million in cash space. Obviously, a bit of that is going to be taken up by Pedersen and Hughes, and Bre uh, Brock Besser's RFA deal is also up next season. But that being said, even if all of them get pretty big contracts, it's probably going to be the Canucks are going to have somewhere between 23 and $25 million in space left after that, heading into 2022-23. And that goes back to what I when I just talked about a right-shot defenseman. If they can find somebody that happens to be a free agent that year or the following year or once out like a Seth Jones does this year, that then that gives you the room to pursue that possibility. It's a lot of wiggle room to potentially add a few really key pieces. And if the Canucks make the playoffs next season, that 2022-23 campaign could be when they really take a step towards becoming legit contenders. Yeah, Jim Benning did say two years till they can start to really be competitive again, which I do agree with. Um, I think in a couple of years they will be, or at least they should be, perennial playoff team. Uh, but in terms of being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, I would say probably in three seasons. But that all means that the holes on this squad, they need to start being filled out now. And more importantly, the future holes that should be filled by younger players should not be vacated by more bad contracts. In other words, do not repeat the same mistakes that this Canucks team and this management group have already made. It's The time is now for adding some pieces, but make sure that they're added in a smart and, and valuable way, like how you found some value in Nate Schmidt. There's a lot of people saying that that contract isn't looking great now. I think that's more of a COVID effect than anything. I think Nate Schmidt wasn't nearly as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. That being said, a third round pick for a top four defender, uh, especially a top four defender who was coming off as good as a season that Nate Schmidt did, it was great value. So if you could find stuff like that, I think you go for it. But you've got to be really careful when, you, when you're handing out term, uh, especially if you want to sort of remain on that timeline that Jim Benning said. Because, hey, he's the one who said it. Two years away, we should be contending for the playoffs. 
that means he knows that if he makes any mistakes and he makes a mistake that's as costly as a Brandon Sutter mistake or a Jay Beagle or a Louis Erickson type mistake, that two years could very easily double. So you've got to be careful when you're making these kinds of mistakes. Who? Who has been the most impressive team in the playoffs so far? I'm going to say Tampa Bay, and I understand they had the talent, and we all know about their cap circumvention tactics, which to me is just, it's smart management. The rules are in place, take advantage of them, but regardless, they've shown just how dominant they really are. Colorado is the other main option, but to me, beating the St. Louis Blues isn't really that impressive. Maybe a couple of years ago, I would have said it was, especially when they were competing for a cup and and really kind of had that that grit to them and that really well-rounded ability, but they're not really there anymore. Vegas has woken up now, and while I do think the Avs are still going to win the series, the Golden Knights are at least showing that Colorado has a little bit of a weakness. The Lightning, on the other hand, had to go through the Florida Panthers, who to me were arguably a top 5-10 to 10 NHL team this season. And now they're up on Carolina 3-1, to one, arguably a top three team this season, and the Lightning are making it look easy. The only team I really see as a legit threat for Tampa is the Avalanche, but even then, like I said, I, I have some question marks about the Avs. Yeah, it's easy to say that now with uh, the couple of games that have gone Vegas' way. Um, I might still say Colorado, but because of those you know, losses to Vegas, it's kind of hard to make that point still. But I'm going to say the Montreal Canadiens, the team that has punched their ticket to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. There were people, Josh, who didn't even have Montreal making the postseason this year. Then people virtually gave them no chance against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they started out slow, but eventually got things sorted out and came back to win three straight against the top-seeded Toronto Maple Leafs and made pretty much everybody in Canada very happy outside of those that live in Ontario. Except, I guess, if you live in Ottawa. Um, you know, they're not fancy. They play a solid defensive style. They have stellar goaltending. But based on where they are versus where a lot of people expected them to be, I do think that they have been the most impressive team. And now they'll be playing in the conference finals. Why? Switching to football, why have the Green Bay Packers messed up this relationship with their franchise quarterback, Aaron Rodgers? I think it goes back to the last draft, or I guess the 2020 draft, when they picked Jordan Love in the first round, when Aaron Rodgers was very public about wanting uh, some help, maybe a wide receiver, somebody that can make an immediate impact and help him. And it just seems like management in Green Bay doesn't really have his best interests in mind. As a Minnesota Vikings fan, that is great news for me. But it, it, I don't know how they messed it up this bad. But as far as trade options go, I do think it'd be interesting to see if he goes somewhere like the New Orleans Saints, where they're a win-now team that is just missing a quarterback. But we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, no, you're right. It goes right back to the NFL draft a couple of years ago uh and, and it's unfortunate because look they had opportunities to make this right did they not julio jones was on the block they could have made a trade for a, another wide receiver as well it never had to be to the 
star power of Julio. All he wants is a little bit of help and to win another Super Bowl in Green Bay. And so it makes sense that Aaron Rodgers is this upset. Now, where is he going to end up? We know he's not going to be at the Packers minicamp. Uh, that's set to begin pretty soon here. It's going to be very interesting, but for my money, I don't know. Does Miami make the most sense? I'm not really sure, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, by the way, Julio Jones dealt to the Tennessee Titans earlier this week as well. It is Roger Sergio. That was the five W's. Josh Elliott Wolf alongside me as well. Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet tonight continues on the other side. We'll break down uh, some other games happening across the National Hockey League. Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders played earlier today as well. That's coming up. It is Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Friday night's got a bit brighter. You're hot, but you ain't so bright. On the radio, this is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. 9.04 on a beautiful night here in Vancouver. I forgot what day it was, so I said beautiful, but I don't even know if it's that nice. Is it, Josh? Raining uh, a little bit earlier today? Have I'm, in a, I'm a win- in a windowless studio, man. I don't know. Right. I've got my curtains and blinds off, so uh, not even looking outside. I'm just going to uh, assume earlier today it was nice, so I'm going to assume it stayed yeah, that way. Exactly. Well, hopefully. The uh, Montreal Canadiens are off to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They have swept the Winnipeg Jets. Tyler Toffoli, if you missed it, getting the overtime winner. A pass from Cole Caulfield sets up. The OT winner punches Montreal's ticket to the third round, just 139 into the overtime period. Jets are done after they swept the Oilers. The same thing happens to them from the hands of the Montreal Canadiens. We got a, by the Uh, way, we got a text about that earlier asking the last time a team swept a team and then got swept by another team in the next round. And I think the graphic was in the game, and if I remember correctly, it was either like 2002 to 2004. I thought it just just happened. There was a graphic, and I usually trust the graphics. But, hey, maybe maybe it was wrong. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. But I think it's been a a hot minute. Trust the graphic over me. But I I did think that uh, I thought it happened decently uh, decently soon. Um, Yeah. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf here on Sportsnet tonight on uh, the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. There's this, I don't know if it's a narrative, Josh, or what, but there's uh, some conversation, I guess, if you will, happening on Twitter right now. Um, and that conversation on Canucks Twitter is mostly dunking on GM Jim Benning for letting go of Tyler Toffoli, which, hey, Tyler Toffoli scored the overtime winning goal. It makes complete sense right now. Have at it. And then I saw this tweet and a couple of series of tweets about the fact that this week, it wasn't only Tyler Toffoli that is dunking on Jim Benning. It's also Troy Stetcher because of the fact that Troy Stetcher uh, has won a, a gold medal with the Team Canada at the World Championships. I don't know about you, Josh. Not to say it's uh, not a big deal and not to discredit Team Canada because that was a fantastic effort 
by the Canadians uh, to come back and win that tournament after starting down, starting off 0-3. But I just don't see them in the same perspective. I don't hold the same weight to both of them. And I just don't really get this fanfare surrounding Troy Stetcher. I don't know. Am, am I a bad Vancouverite for this? For, for not getting this fanfare surrounding Troy Stetcher. Like, I don't think Troy Stetcher dunked on Jim Benning this week because he scored or he assisted on a very nice goal to Andrew Mangiapane and then ended up winning the, the World Championships. Like, I don't think that's a hot take that. I just won gold at the World Championships. Yeah. You know who else made really good plays from time to time? And people were like, oh, man, this guy, this guy must be really good. Why'd you get rid of him? Nikolai Goldobin. And, right. and I'm not saying Troy Stetcher is Goldobin because Stetcher deserves a spot in the NHL and and objectively he's he's a pretty good defenseman and uh yeah he, he had a pretty good year this year. But that being said, you're you're right. Winning a gold medal at a World Hockey Championship where hey, to his credit, he he did play pretty well. But that being said, it was also a World Hockey Championship with far less NHLers than we usually see. So I'm not. I'm not trying to take away from Stetcher's accomplishments because hey, he's he's the Richmond boy, and and while he was in Vancouver, he w- it was awesome to root for him as the hometown kid that you got to see living his dream. But that being said, I I agree with you. the The fanfare to me doesn't really make any sense, and I know there's a really popular poll going around right now among Canucks fans, uh, brought upon by one of our own here at Sportsnet 650. Yeah, and that poll discussing whether Tyler Myers or Troy Stetcher, who is better of the two. Uh, I haven't checked the poll recently, but I'm going to go ahead and just guess that people in this market think that Troy Stetcher is better. What do you um, get? Give me a, a guesstimate uh, to as to what it's at right now. Oh my god! I I, I don't. This is gonna like speak to. How much I or how how much I think of think about this market? I guess I don't know. Like, I'm gonna say seventy percent in favor of Troy Stetcher. So Tyler Myers, who I would say is the better player, is at thirty five point three percent. Stetcher at sixty four point okay. seven. So you're you're okay. pretty close, but that like the Canucks fans maybe gave you better a little bit more credit. Yeah, better than I thought. Yeah, I mean. Uh, to me, it's not really a close discussion at all. At all. Like, not even close. And, and I'll be honest, I don't care about these analytics. And I and here's why. Not to say that I don't care about analytics whatsoever. I do. I think that they're valuable. I think that teams should definitely, especially in 2021, be using them to build a successful Stanley Cup team. I don't think that they're the be-all, end-all. And I don't think that a player's Corsi or a player's war or whatever other advanced analytic that you want to throw out there determines each and every time if they are a good defenseman or not. And and look, and a very popular question and a very popular conversation around that in the last week or two was about Seth Jones, right? Seth Jones, I think, Josh, we would agree, is a really good defenseman. But there's a narrative out there that people are saying, well, he's not really that good. He's he's probably better suited as a as a second pair or a third pair guy rather than how people build him as it. And maybe that's true to, you know, maybe, maybe that is true. I'm not necessarily sure. I think he's a top pairing top pairing guy from what I've seen of of Seth Jones.
But the fact is that I don't think that the analytics are the be-all, end-all, the way that some people treat them to be. And Tyler Myers very obviously fails the analytics test. And I think that if people are going to come at me and, and argue that he fails the eye test as well, I would disagree with that because he plays very hard minutes. He plays the top t- competition on the other side. And quite frankly, when Troy Stetcher was on this team for more years than Tyler Myers was on this team, Travis Green did not trust him to play him in a situation where he was going to be relied upon to be in crucial moments. And when he did play in those moments, when Tyler Myers did go out and Troy Stetcher was the player that came up and played for the Canucks, he struggled mightily. And people don't really talk about that. I'm not saying that it was a good decision to let go of Stetcher because I've maintained it was a poor decision, very poor decision to let go of Troy Stetcher because he ultimately adds depth to your team. But to have this narrative that this analytics-based approach is simply what makes Stetcher better than Myers is completely false in my eyes. Definitely. And to me, I I know you and I are on pretty different sides when it comes to analytics. Like I just view it. I don't really like the word. I guess I just view it as like additional information that helps you form an opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not trying to like make it. That sounds like an analytical like (laughs) quote. That sounds like something you would read in an analytic person's article. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You might as well give you your, your own, uh, you know, you, you got to have, you got to make it sound less analytical than that. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I just view it as like, I want to create an opinion about somebody. I'm going to look at any available number that I have about that player. But that being said, I am also going to watch the player and make an opinion based off that and take all of it into account. And when I look at Troy Stetcher, I see a player that can play very, very well on your bottom pair. And to your point, when he gets moved up to the second pair, as much as I want him to succeed and his numbers say he should succeed, he does not succeed. And maybe that's just a Vancouver system thing because I've been looking into to a bit of the numbers and it seems like when defensemen leave Vancouver, they tend to get a little bit better defensively. And that that's maybe that's... Red yeah, well, okay, there's some exceptions. Um, but you look at a guy like Chris Tanev, he had a better year last year. Um, it's just seriously like Ben Hatton had a decent offense analytical number, at least after he left the Canucks. Yeah. He was always one of those guys that like you looked at his analytical numbers and he was always like a little bit better than you thought he should be. But I guess it's the people's people saying that he's like better than whoever else is playing. Oh, it was like Drew Doughty. It was like, he was better than Drew Doughty. And I was like, no. (laughs) <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, come on, you know, like, and I'm not here to crap on analytics because I, I, I think, I feel like you think, and I feel like a lot of people who know me think that I am like this completely like hands off analytics guy because I you do, do come across, like <laughs> I do come across like that. I'm not, Hey, it's a fair argument to have. I, I, I'll admit it. I, I'm not a big fan of it. Like a lot of people are. Um, but at the same time, like I mentioned, man, I, I, if I were running an hockey team, I would have an analytics department and I would rely pretty heavily on them, I think, personally. That being said, when it comes to takes like these, I'm taking Tyler Myers over Troy Stetcher any day. I'm having Seth Jones on my team any day of the week. And I'm definitely having Drew Doughty over Ben Hutton any day of the week. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things to me are all obvious. It doesn't matter. 
and I think the the Troy Stetcher thing, Josh, comes down to the fact that you've got a guy in Tyler Myers who people don't like his contract. People don't like the fact that you signed him out of free agency when you could have given that money to somebody else. Uh, and and you've got and you at the same time, pretty much a year after signing uh, Myers, you got rid of Troy Stetcher, and and now people sort of think that that money, the four and a half million dollars, I guess, difference, isn't worth it. Now. That to me, you might have a point. If yeah. that's your point, where the 1.7 million that you're paying Stetcher, you're better off paying him than you are the six billion to Tyler Myers. There you go. Now you have a little bit of a point. I can understand that argument. That being said, when it comes to somebody who's better, like the salary cap doesn't equal better. Less on the salary cap doesn't mean that you're better. There was a lot of people saying that Toronto's bottom six was a lot better than the Canucks's. And then guess what? The Canucks went out and got Travis Boyd. The Canucks went out and they and they got um I forgot the guy. Jimmy VC. They got Jimmy VC. And and guess what? They stunk. They stunk in Vancouver and they're probably not going to get resigned. Right? Like those kinds of things happen. It's not I, I feel like it's a little bit more of a hey, look what the other team has as opposed to appreciating what you have here in Vancouver. And I get it, a lot of that has to do with the money but that's not the correct way to look at it. Yeah, it's the difference between valuable and better. And when I look at Troy Stetcher and you factor in the contract and you factor in who he is as a player, he is a more valuable player to me than Tyler Myers. But that being said, I do think Tyler Myers is the better player. And if you were to give me both of them at $3 million and say, hey, you have to take one on your team for the next three years, I'm taking Tyler Myers. And I know that the numbers don't support that. I know that it's, it's, he's a vastly overrated player in a lot of people, people's eyes. But when you watch him play and you watch Stetcher play, it's, it just seems pretty obvious who the better player is. And again, I'm not trying to discredit analytics. I know you're not trying to discredit analytics because it's just information. But that being said, Sometimes the numbers don't support the way the actual player is playing. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's you have to find a balance. And I know people can get really defensive about it and get really cocky about it, to be honest. Like, how dare you question the numbers? But, hey, look, sometimes you have to form your own opinion about something. And I think objectively, if you watch both of them play for 82 games in a year, you'll probably walk away going, hey, Myers made a few more obvious mistakes, but he also made a few more obviously better plays and played in a lot more situations, whether it be the penalty kill, the second power play unit, like Stetcher was not getting those minutes in Vancouver. And so for both parties, I think for Stetcher, it was better to go to Detroit, have a good year where maybe your coach trusts you a little bit more. And I think for Vancouver, like while it would have been the better idea to bring him back, I understand why they didn't because you had Schmidt coming in, you had Hamnick coming in, and you had Myers that was already on the right side. It's good to have depth, but for both parties, I think it made sense to part ways. I don't think there's anybody comparing Tyler Myers to Travis Hamnick, whereas I think that a more appropriate comparison, and at least coming out of this year, I'm not looking at the analytics from this year. I don't have no idea what they are for Travis Habenick, but I thought Travis Habenick played decently well. I think that's a prime guy to bring back on the Canucks Bula next season. And I think that's a player that you sort of compare Troy Stetcher to, right? Because he's playing in that role. And when Tyler Myers went out this year for a couple of games, he played that role. 
and he played alongside Quinn Hughes as well. And and that's the kind of role that you would see Troy Stetcher in. Uh, we have a text here, 650-650. You're not a bad Vancouver fan for not wanting to sign Stetcher. Um, and then he goes on to say something else. Listen, Texture, I didn't not I didn't want the Canucks to not sign Stetcher. I was a big proponent of getting Troy Stetcher signed so the Vancouver Canucks don't have to go out and get a guy like Travis Hamannick necessarily, or if they do, it's more so for depth reasons, right? I thought that you're better off having a player like Troy Stetcher who wants to play for the Canucks. First of all, he's from here, but also he's played here long enough. He's played under uh, Travis Green long enough where he understands the systems that it makes sense just to keep him rather than bring somebody similar in. So I wanted to keep try, uh, Troy Stetcher on this squad. I just don't, I just can't like understand the fact that some people will, I think, not look at Tyler Myers in the way that they should. I feel like he, and, and it's not only him, it's a lot of other players too, but I feel like he gets sort of watched with this bias to him and and this big $6 million price tag sort of floating over his head almost, right? And and that's why everybody is is so hard on him. And rightfully so. Listen, you're in a Canadian market. You make a big ton of money. You're, you're going to have that criticism. But I, in my eyes, it has to be fair criticism, right? And for Tyler Myers, there's a lot of things to critique. I'm not sitting here and saying he's a perfect defenseman because he's far from that. He makes a lot of mistakes. His gap control is terrible. In the defensive zone, he has struggled mightily at times. And when it comes to uh, when it comes to sort of taking penalties and being disciplined, he's, he's obviously struggled in that regard. So don't get me wrong. He's not the perfect defenseman, Josh. But at the same time, the way he's able to push the envelope up the ice and really get the Vancouver Canucks the goal-scoring opportunities that they need from an offensive output, he's been great. He's been good along the boards, I found, this season. He's found a pretty healthy, uh, I think, relationship with Olio Levy at times. And, and he was also very good at you know, sort of blocking shots and making quick breakout passes from his own end and, and being that pillar on the blue line that was able to eat a bunch of minutes. And I don't think Troy Stetcher would succeed if he was given that same opportunity with the Canucks. And he was given it. We mentioned it. He was given it. And and he wasn't able to succeed. Definitely. And it's... And one thing also I think we sort of need to like touch on is that you and I and fans and other media members can talk about Stetcher and Myers and whatever other players that we want all day, right? But I think you kind of have to also look at it from how a coach views his own players. And Travis Green was very obviously a bigger fan of Tyler Myers than Troy Stetcher, right? Yeah. So in that sense alone, it makes more sense to why Troy uh, Tyler Myers would make more sense wearing blue and green than it would for Troy Stetcher. Yeah, and I know it was frustrating for a lot of fans that root for Troy Stetcher and want him to succeed watching him the past couple of years under Travis Green because it was pretty obvious that... It it was funny. He would start the year not getting a lot of ice time, and then throughout the season he would maybe get a little bit more. And I think people interpreted that as Stetcher gaining trust, but to me it was just other players needing more rest or, or getting injured, and he got the benefit of that. But, yeah, it's it, it a lot of it comes down to coaches' trust. And if you're a player like Stetcher and you see your situation in Vancouver and that – your coach, Travis Green, probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon. 
it makes sense for you to want to go somewhere else and maybe have a coach that sees you as a top four defenseman, whether you are or not. And when it comes to going to Detroit, a bottom five team in the league, you're probably going to get a little bit more ice time than you would on a team that I know the Canucks sucked this year, but a team that was at least trying to compete and a team that thought they would be better than they would be because if if you were looking at it going into the season, it made a lot more sense for a player like Stetcher to go to uh, a crappy team like Detroit where he's going to get more ice time and, hey, maybe next season he gets a little bit of a bigger contract from them and maybe finds uh, a veteran-type role with the team in Detroit as they get a little bit older. It is Roger Shurkill. It is Josh Elliott-Wolf. Sportsnet tonight continues for another segment. Before we hit the break, Josh, uh, I kind of want to get to a couple pieces of audio here. Um, the Boston Bruins today falling to the New York Islanders by a score of 5-4, to four, a pretty good game, if uh, you were able to uh, watch that one uh, and made my tweet look incredibly stupid. Did you see my tweet? Oh, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> it was like uh, immediately, too. Yeah. Hey, I thought I made I thought I made it sound pretty good after. You, you I, saved I said, it a little the, bit. But yeah, yeah, I said the I said the Bruins are taking the Islanders to school, and then immediately the Islanders just started pouring on the goals. And I said, well, the Islanders apparently learned something from Bruins school. So yeah. I thought it was thought it was decently good. I don't know. I give myself a pat on the back. You saved it uh, for sure. Um, head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, was not a fan of the officiating in that game. I want to play back this this clip from Bruce Cassidy talking about the refereeing uh, from tonight's game against uh, the New York Islanders. Well, Jimmy, I think what happens, okay, so this is my take on, we're playing a team that has, uh, you know, very respected management coaching staff. They won a Stanley cup. So, but I think they sell a narrative over there that um, it's more like the New York saints, you know, not the New York Islanders that, you know, they play hard and they play the right way, but, I feel we're the same way. And the calls, the exact calls that are getting called on us um, do not get called on them. So, and, and I don't know why. These are very good officials. They're, they're, they're at this point in the season for a reason. So, so that's head coach of the Boston Bruins, Bruce Cassidy, talking about the officiating uh, and the New York Islanders saying that they're doing the exact same things that we're doing, but we're getting called for it and they're not getting called for it. Like, as a member of... The Boston Bruins, like, shouldn't you realize that by now that nobody feels sorry for you? Yeah. Like, coming from a Bruins coach or staff member or player or whatever, like, that's pretty, it's pretty ironic. Definitely, especially in Vancouver. We know how that goes when Boston gets into the playoffs and they, they get the calls and the other team doesn't. We know all about that, and so does former Vancouver Canuck Ryan Kessler during an episode of the uh, brand new series Kess's House. He was uh, talking about the 2011 Stanley Cup final, and he talked about that officiating. The refs were brutal. Oh, now they call now they call penalties, but you got Marchant slew footing guys, and and it was just but, um, refs. My, my favorite part about that is, and you have to see it on video, but like Colby Armstrong looking into the camera after and going, refs. <laughs> it's like the classic Jim Halpert yeah. looking to the camera. Yeah. 
it's it's uh it's true i mean i don't know if it's true listen we're on the 10 year anniversary i don't want to get into 2011 but at the same time it's, it is how a lot of canucks fans feel right that the officiating was garbage uh and that uh that the bruins got away with a lot more than the canucks did yeah i agree with that i think that they did um but it's also kind of good to see um uh, i don't know if it's good i don't know if good's the right word but like it, it's 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 weird to see like Ryan Kessler and a player actually sort of come out and say like how bad he thought that the officiating was, right? Because that's a guy who had to just sort of be quiet throughout the entire uh, gist of it because he obviously he didn't want to get fined. He didn't want to get in any more trouble. And he's just trying to go out there and, and win a Stanley Cup and win a hockey game eventually, right? So uh, all these years later, as we approach the anniversary, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see him come out and, and just say that in plain sight. Definitely. It's something I think people want to see from NHL players more often in general, like general, like general personality, you know, where it's like, man, I want you to complain about something and I want you to like be excited about something because NHL players are notoriously just deadpan. They know how to talk to the media. They know how to say the right things and only talk about the team and not talk about themselves. But it is nice, especially when you live in Vancouver. It's like, okay, yeah, the team felt the same way I did about watching the 2011 finals and being so frustrated with what was happening with refereeing and what the Bruins were doing and what they were getting away with. And it was just overall frustrating experience, and it's it's nice to see that it's shared by the players that were on the ice as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. Sportsnet tonight continues. On the other side, Tyler Toffoli got the game-winning goal that sends the Montreal Canadiens to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We will hear from Tyler Toffoli, former Vancouver Canucks, coming up after the break. Roger Shurgill, Josh Elliott, will Sportsnet tonight on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 680. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Roger Shurgill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Final segment of the program. It is Sportsnet tonight. Roger Shurgill, Josh Elliott Wolf with you. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you missed any of it, head on over to sportsnet.ca slash 650. Find the podcast under Sportsnet tonight. Broke down the Montreal Canadiens victory tonight over the Winnipeg Jets, sweeping them and sending them to the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I keep trying not to say conference final because I guess it's not technically. Uh, yeah, I think it's called the semifinals because there's no conferences. Right. Makes sense. Um, Tyler Toffoli, if you haven't heard by now, sending the Montreal Canadiens to uh, said semifinal. He uh, had a dynamite year for Montreal this season and he continues their postseason today, uh, defeating the Winnipeg Jets. After Winnipeg had swept Montreal, they get the same thing that happened to them uh, by the hands of the Canadians. So uh, Tyler Toffoli, obviously, after a big season and a big playoff run, talked to the media after uh, that big goal that he scored uh, to send the Habs to the third round. Uh, Here he is, Tyler Toffoli, talking to media after uh, the Montreal Canadiens' victory tonight. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the bigger ones. Um, 
I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's fun right now. We're uh, we're doing a good job, um, and it just feels like we're all kind of you know playing as one. So I think we we keep kind of continuing on this. Um, hopefully, we just keep having success and and keep keep winning games here. Smell. <clears throat> Hey Tyler, one of the things you you repeated this season is how much you believed in this thing, and Josh Anderson kind of repeated the same thing. How do you think this helped to get this mindset through and made it contagious through the team? Uh, I mean, kind of feels like nobody believes in us. So um, the only people we have are ourselves and our fans, which clearly, um, with the small amount of fans in the building, it sounded a lot more than what it was. Um, are behind us and our friends and family. So um, we're sticking together. We're, like I said, we're playing as, as one and um, we're winning games and, and having fun. Dan Robertson. Tyler, after the Jets tied the game, it would have been normal, I think, for maybe you guys to slump a bit or for them to really take the momentum away. But it just seemed like you stuck to your game plan as a team. It, did you see that too? And is that sort of a part of the team's DNA at this point, do you think? Yeah, I think we roll four lines over. Um, everybody, you know, five on five, I feel like everybody plays the same amount. So um, I thought we were, we were playing great, getting a lot of good looks, a lot of opportunities. Um, and it was just a matter of time before we kind of broke through. And obviously we uh, we wish that they didn't come back, but that's hockey and um, we're playing as a good team that, that can score goals. So um, we stuck together. We didn't panic. Um, Gary was unbelievable as usual with, Um, the little little amount that that he got, there were some some really good looks that they had, and, and he came up big again. So, um, yeah, it was just uh, it was just fun. Don Luke, <clears throat> Tyler, does your line become more dangerous considering that Cole appears to be looking to facilitate offense? I mean, he made that assist to you tonight. He had the assist in the power play with Nick the other night, but uh, seems like everybody expects him to shoot, but he uh, he's proving himself to be an effective playmaker. I mean, yeah, he's just a great player. Um, I think every time the puck's on a stick, something good happens. So um, hopefully he just keeps doing what he's doing. And um, I'm definitely not going to be telling him what to do with the puck. He's going to be making the, the decisions. And and clearly he's making really good ones right now. Uh, Tyler, further to, further to call, it seemed like you got kind of lost in from him in, in that celebration and you made a point of finding him and, and sort of bear hugging him there and, and making your way through the crowd. It's what is the, what's the, how has that relationship developed? You know, he's so young and, and you're more of a veteran guy. What's, what's, what's going on there? It was just a little guy. I couldn't find him out there. Um, he, uh, you know what, it's, it's one of those things where when I came into the league, uh, I had certain guys kind of take me under their wing and, um, I mean, I'm trying to do the same uh, in the sense, but like I said, he's uh, he's a lot better than, than what I was when I came in the league. So um, just just playing with him and him and Nick, um, it's been a pleasure. And hopefully, we just keep working and, and keep getting better and and help this team win win games at you know the important time of the year. Julian McKenzie, Tyler, you mentioned how loud the crowd was. Uh, I was just curious if you could describe a moment when uh, after the game was over, you're being interviewed uh, by Sportsnet and your face is being shown on the Jumbotron and everyone is waving flags and celebrating. What was it like trying to process everything in that moment as that was going on? It's just, it's cool. Um, obviously very grateful that um, fans and 
family is allowed back to watch us. Um, you know, they've definitely been missed. Um, I've missed them for sure. I know the guys have missed them. So we're very fortunate to uh, have this opportunity. Um, but yeah, they, they were incredible. Like I said, the, the, uh, the small amount that, that we're allowed uh, it sounds a lot more than, than what it is. Just a few more. Stu Cowan. <clears throat> uh, Tyler, I know after you signed with the Canadians, you talked about how your agent had told you you would love living and playing <clears throat> in Montreal. I know things have been different with COVID and that, but uh, you're happy you listened to him, I guess, and has it been everything you would wish it would be so far? I'm sure I got a text from him, so I'll, uh, I'll go take a peek. But, um, yeah, you know what? It's, it's one of those things where you, uh, you listen to the, uh, the people around you and obviously – you know, this season's been a, been a blessing. Um, I've loved it. My wife's loved it. Um, been very fortunate for every single thing this season so far. So just got to keep this magic going and, and keep going. Luc, Julina. Merci, Paul. Tyler, uh, when uh, you won the Cup, uh, you played seven games the first three rounds, but being able to uh, just shut down and win in four games. How valuable is it for your team now? I think the uh, the rest, um, getting our mind kind of away from the game, I think is going to be a good thing for a little bit. Um, I mean, there's just our schedule has been been crazy this year. It's been probably one of the hardest years of my career, to be honest, uh, mentally, physically. So um, I thought we, you know, I think we've been doing a good job, and it's going to be good to kind of get away for a couple of days here. <clears throat> Hello, Tyler. You, uh, you've been part of very, very good teams before, uh, and each team is, is different in its mix. What, how, how, what's specific about this group of guys? What's the, the, the ingredient that's specific to these Canadians? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that it's just one of those things where um, I don't, we just don't care who, who gets the job done for us. In, in a sense, um, like I said, we have everybody going, everybody's playing, everybody's playing the right way. Um, and we're just winning games and, and just playing. Honestly, we're all playing our best hockey at the right time. So we just got to keep going. Thanks, Tyler. There is Tyler DeFoley, former member of the Vancouver Canucks, now a forward with the Montreal Canadiens, scoring the game-winning goal to punch Montreal's ticket to the semifinal They are just four wins away, Josh, from a uh, ticket to the Stanley Cup final and eight wins away, because that's how math works. You're right. Capture the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that that adds up. Uh, So, yeah, a couple stats that I was looking at. The Canadians never trailed in the four games uh, against the Jets, which... I don't know if that's ever happened before. Not not even losing at any point in the series. And also, remember how the North Division playoffs started like a week after all the other teams? Yep. They're done before everybody else. Yeah. That's wild. They are. That That is wild. Didn't think about that one. They are. And, and that was something that a lot of people poked fun at. Um, personally, let me tell you this. Personally, uh, very happy that uh, this game, this, uh, this series is done in four uh, because of the fact that uh, I had, if this game if this game went uh, the distance or this series went the distance all the way to seven, uh, it would have been a very uh, unhappy uh, anniversary for my better half. 
Oh yeah, uh, she yeah she was not going to be happy if this went uh, to to, <laughs> to the game seven because I would have been working, and uh, it would not have been uh, not have been a great scenario. Probably not. No. So, my so selfishly, Tyler Toffoli did a great job for me. What a that's that's a wingman right there. That's that's called giving back to to the community. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, my my girlfriend and I's anniversary is in December, so. I don't think I've ever run into like a sports issue. It's always been like a random Canucks game or whatever that's been on. But generally, I can I can miss a game and it's fine. Um, But yeah, man, I'm I'm dead center in the middle of June, meaning it's Stanley Cup final time in in regular times. Like I could be missing, uh, you know, very important, uh, very important historic days if if it falls on the right, uh, you know, if the calendar isn't uh happy with me then i could be missing the stanley cup celebration on a day where you know i have got to i've got to celebrate again yeah you're playing a dangerous game for sure that's why like the smart people are just doing everything in the summer and just getting it done there but we are not smart people see at this point it's it's still my girlfriend right so i'm not married but when I do get married, I, I will plan on getting the uh, the marriage anniversary down the line so it won't interfere with anything. It'll be legitimately in the summer, not when there's still a chance that the uh, the Holy Grail could be handed out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it, I, there's got to be a bunch of a bunch of guys out there that just didn't even think about it when planning and now their anniversary falls on like the Super Bowl every year or whatever and it's <laughs> it's just the worst. But it's uh, well, just, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. It's these last couple rounds. So as far as Montreal going into whether they play, if you were the Montreal Canadiens, would you rather play the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche? Vegas Golden Knights by far, for sure. Yeah. It, right, like, like I, I feel like Montreal can actually contend with. With Vegas, and listen, this is me, and this is us writing off Montreal yet again. And Tyler Toffoli said it in that interview. Nobody believed in them, and that's kind of a bad way to to really, you know, view a team. I guess that's going into the third round because they have obviously defeated a really good hockey team in the Toronto Maple Leafs. I know a lot of people don't think that they necessarily are, or rather, they just crap on them because they're from Toronto. That's a very strong hockey team. And, and they defeated the Winnipeg Jets in four games, and I don't think that's anything that a lot of people expected either. Uh, I feel like that we shouldn't be counting them out, whether it doesn't matter who they're playing, but they would fare better against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a team that I think they can actually sort of match the tempo and the match the style better than the, the team of Colorado that is so good and gifted at legitimately everything. Like, even 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 Vegas, right? Like, Vegas is a very good hockey team, but it took them a couple of outings to really get to the level of Colorado. And then they were able to figure it out and, and play their style and adjust. But it doesn't matter who, or it doesn't matter which team you are, other than maybe Tampa Bay, every team other than Tampa is going to be adjusting to Colorado, right? So you want to be, uh, I guess, having to make the least amount of adjustments as possible and stick to your game plan to be successful. And I think Montreal has a much better chance of doing that against Vegas. Definitely. And it's you, you're right on about the adjusting stuff. Like Vegas has the gears and the players to adjust to Colorado and eventually 
get up to that talent level because Vegas has the skill on their team. When they're all, when they're firing on all cylinders, Vegas can match Colorado or at least get really close to what Colorado has and then flurries in net and can win them a couple games. I don't know if Montreal has the skill level to get to where the Colorado Avalanche are at. So when you look at Vegas, hey, maybe the Golden Knights take them lightly if if it is Vegas going through to play Montreal. The Canadians will be rested. Maybe you win a couple games that you shouldn't. I mean, look, you saw the Vancouver Canucks take the Golden Knights to game seven last year because they had a really, really good goalie. And the Canadians also have a goalie that can perform like that, especially in the playoffs and especially coming off a lot of rest and a series where you didn't really have to do that much. And so if if the Habs can clog it up like they did against Winnipeg and and give Carey Price the opportunity to win three or four games because he's probably going to have to have to win that many if they're going to move on. I mean, obviously the team is going to have to win four, but if he steals three or four games, then they got a chance. But I don't know, like it, regardless of whatever team moves on, I'm still going like 70% to them and then 30% on the Habs, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it's going to be tough for, for Montreal, especially if you're a fan of the Habs, because you understand that you have this underdog mentality to you the entire uh, playoffs. And, and that's something that they're kind of going to be wearing, or they should be wearing, I guess, the pride of pride of honor, shouldn't you? Like, shouldn't you be uh, embracing the fact that you're underdogs? Because that's ultimately what got you to this spot, hasn't it? It's kind of like the Canucks last year. Definitely. It's the underdog mentality. As you go, there's actually a lot of similarities to what the Canucks were last year. Maybe Montreal is probably a little bit of a better team, but the Canucks had a pretty good team last year, at least a team that had guys that were clicking at the right time and they had two amazing goaltenders, but they, there's a similar vibe to the teams. Montreal has obviously gotten a little bit farther, but it's it's going to be really interesting to see if they can even if they can push Vegas or Colorado to six or seven games that's a win in my books like especially you went seven games against Toronto and you really stifled Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and a lot of people are blaming Matthews and Marner but if you go into a series against let's say it is Colorado that moves on and you can limit Nathan McKinnon you're probably going to not do it to the same extent, but if you can do it even a little bit, limit Miko Rantanen, mm-hmm. that goes a long way in showing that, hey, you're a team that should be taken seriously going into next season as well. Well, we talked about the fact that Carey Price has been stellar in these playoffs, but he hasn't had to be stellar. The Habs have also been playing a, a really good style of hockey throughout these throughout this postseason, right? So they haven't he hasn't necessarily stolen them games, uh, and... He's, but at the same time, he's still in his head, if that kind of makes sense, right? Um, so he's been a very solid netminder, obviously, through his entire career. And then this season, there was talks that Jack, uh, Jake Allen was the guy to, to put in net for opening day of the playoffs because he was seemingly the better goalie throughout the regular season. But Carey Price has, has been playing great. And that's a guy that you're going to look at in saying we need him to start stealing us some games now, uh, whether it is against Vegas or whether it is against Colorado, because 
like I said, he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't needed to do it yet, but I suspect that he will probably need to do it. And that burden of being overcome with just the speed and tenacity and grit of of this Colorado Avalanche team because they are physical. Uh, and they're not only physical in the sense, Josh, of bottom six, right? They've got physical players throughout their lineup. McKinnon's a big dude who's not afraid to drop the gloves and get into the dirty areas. Mikko Ratnan's a big dude. Gabriel Landeskog, Landeskog is one of the premier power forwards in the entire National Hockey League. Nazem Kadri is getting set to return from his uh, bogus uh, suspension, and let's see if he can keep it clean when he comes back. Uh, but you know he always plays on an edge as well. Uh, and they've got much more grittier players throughout their lineup, but they've also got speed and they've got a lot of skill. It's going to fall a lot on Carey Price to really maintain this for the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Definitely. And like I've been saying, it's the if he came out of, let's say the series were reversed and they played Winnipeg in the first round, they swept them, and then they went to game seven against Toronto, I would be a little more wary about Carey Price going into another mm-hmm. hard-fought series, but he's going to have a little more rest. They're going to have a few days off here. And to your point, he didn't really have to win many games for them. Like Montreal played really sound defensively, especially against the Jets, who for for most of the season, they relied heavily on Mark Shifley, and obviously they lacked a Mark Shifley for a few games there. Mm-hmm. So it was an easy route for Carey Price, and hopefully that translates well into the next round for the Habs' sake if they want to pull off a miracle here. Well, here's an interesting stat as well. The team, uh, and I don't remember how far back it goes. I believe it's for the last five or six series. Uh, uh, the team that is uh, that has swept their opponent and then played a team that went the distance to Game 7 against their previous opponent, the team that went to Game 7 was the team that came out on top uh a hundred percent of the time versus the team that had swept their team, uh, swept their opponent, and had the had the longer rest. So rest. So obviously, playing in games, being in that rhythm, being constantly on the go, does have its benefits as well. And we do know there's going to be that fifth game between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. Meanwhile, the Montreal Canadiens will be waiting uh, to see which team that they will be playing. Uh, it's Roger Sturgill. It's Josh Elliott Wolf. This has been the show. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, Josh. Good to be back on the air with you. It's been a minute. Yeah, I'll see you. Uh, talk to you in another another month. Talk to you soon. We'll be back on the air uh, decently soon, I hope. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs that we air here on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks Sportsnet 650. This has been Sportsnet tonight. I'm Roger Sturgill. He's Josh Elliott Wolf. We are the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.